0: Hello and thank you for tuning in to Husky Talk. We're your hosts, Jameson, Maddie, and Josie. We have a very exciting guest today. He's allergic to dogs, his wife is extremely popular on Twitter, and he has one son, naked and afraid. Please welcome to, your, to the show, Quince Mountain.
1: Hey Quince,
2: welcome oh to gosh. Husky Talk. Wait, pardon me, what's your name? Maddie. Maddie, Hi.
3: Before we start our interview with you, we are going to test your Iditarod knowledge. We have five Iditarod questions for you. <laughs>
2: okay, go ahead.
0: Ready? Mm. Yeah. Go ahead. Who was the first <laughs> female champion of the, the Iditarod?
2: Well, some people might guess Susan Butcher, but the answer is Libby Riddles, because Co- Susan Butcher had to scratch by her earl. Maybe she would have
4: won. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the halfway
1: checkpoint for the northern route? Cripple. How many minutes apart do the mushers start? Oh
2: gosh. Uh, let me think. I think. I think two. Yep.
3: What was used for the very first finish line? Um, <laughs> I think just
2: some paint or something on the ground. I'm not sure. There was no arch. It was Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah, that's right. That makes sense in the snow that you would pour it, drizzle it in there.
0: Who has the fastest finish time?
2: Oh, gosh. I... Oh, man. Which on... Okay, is this on the Fairbanks route or the... See, I can't even, like, buy myself time to look this up because I'm on the road. I don't know data <laughs> service. Um, I'm going to say that the fastest... In it, oh, gosh. Is it Mitch or Dallas or Martin? Martin did for a long time. Martin Buzik did. Martin but then now I'm going to say that Mitch CB does. Yeah, right. Good. Okay.
1: Nice job on the trivia. You were four out of Thank five. You. We are now going to finish a find out a little more about you. Wonderful. First, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: (laughs) Sure. My name is Quince Mountain, and I am a sled dog musher. But I wasn't always a sled dog musher. Uh, I never thought I would be, in fact. If you had asked me, you know, when I was 25 years old even, or, or, you know, even a little later, um, if I was ever going to be on the runners of a dog sled. I I would have doubted it, but but much less to do it full-time. Yeah, you have to uh, be careful who you fall in love with because my uh, wife now, Blair Braverman, when we started dating, um, you know, first I took her horseback riding a number of times I was really into riding. And then, you know, but her thing was mushing dogs. So, you know, we went dog mushing. And once you step on the runners of a dog sled um i mean you're being like like you've been sledding probably just snow sledding it's like it's like snow sledding but maybe without a hill and you're just being pulled through a magical forest by these like happy dogs and it's so like they're barking 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 and then as soon as they go they're so quiet and it's just like You you go into these beautiful snow-covered trees and you're kind of skimming the surface like as though you're like sledding really fast down a hill but on flat ground and it just feels so nice. It feels like, um, you know, maybe like being in a boat or something, kind of skipping across the the waves and it's it's wonderful. Um, So that started this kind of addiction that we have now.
1: Let's get this one out right away. You are allergic to dogs.
2: <laughs> I am allergic to dogs, yes. Um, I don't know what word to say about that. I, this this uh, podcast is brought to you by Sudafed. Sudafed. <laughs> Helping Quince Mountain mush dogs.
1: How in the world do you work with dogs on a daily basis?
2: How in the world do I work with dogs on a daily basis? I'm going to turn that one back on you, Maddie. Is this Maddie? Yeah. Um, I'm, what do you mean?
1: Because you're allergic to dogs, how do you work with them?
2: Oh, 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 because I'm allergic. Well, (laughs) allergy medications help. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not allergic in the sense that, like, I'm going to die if I touch a dog or something. Um, I just, you know, I get, like, a stuffy nose. I get itchy. I have skin problems, you know. and, And we tried to keep the dogs separate from our house, like we have dogs that come in the house, but they only come into a certain part of the house. And and we try to you know, only wear the clothing that we wear outside when working with the dogs, we take off in the house and we have like a HEPA filter type thing. But honestly, uh, it's kind of hopeless. There's dog hair everywhere in my life and dogs. And I I don't know, I just sort of suffer.
1: You've worked with some well-established mushers at this point. Talk to us about how this has helped you.
2: Well, you know, I came to this hobby, <laughs> this this skill, with with really no background. I, I didn't grow up doing it. Um, so, and, you know, my wife had done it uh, a long time, starting when she was um, an exchange student in northern Norway. So, you know, she'd been mushing, like, 10 years or something, and I... um I hadn't done it and and so I uh, you know after I went a couple times with the player, we thought that you know if I went out to Alaska and worked for a summer um, helping guide tours i could I could learn you know I could really hone my skills and that was true and I kind of a little bit faked my way into it. I'm not going to say I lied I didn't but You know, I didn't exactly highlight in my application that I didn't have a tremendous amount of experience. So when I, but when I got there um, to CV's Iditarod kennel, speaking of Mitch CV. And, and met his son Danny CV, who was my manager. I mean, they, they just, they have a great training program. They threw me, you know, they didn't throw me to the wolves. They, you know, for a week or two, I, I spent kind of practicing with the sled and the dogs and, uh, before I actually took any tour guests out. And because you're doing it so many times a day, um, harnessing dogs, unharnessing dogs. Later I worked on a glacier and so it was like putting booties on dogs, taking booties off dogs. You just get so many repetitions in that you can get really fast at it compared to, you know, had I just stayed home with our six dogs or something and not gotten a whole lot of practice because we we might go mushing every day. But then, you know, I'm harnessing, I would say, three dogs as Blair does the other three. But honestly, at that time, I could probably harness one in the time Blair could do five. So now we're a little more even. Um, Blair's still probably faster than I am. And... I'm definitely not the fastest you'll see in the Iditarod when it comes to checkpoint routine. That takes years to develop.
1: At this point, do you have any of your own kennel dogs?
2: I, we do. Yes, we do. We have 24 dogs.
1: Talk to us about your training and where you do most of your training.
2: Well, we split our time between Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, and Alaska. For the past four years, I think, I've spent mm, about half the year or last year, even the majority of the year, in Alaska. Um, But Alaska is a big state, so even there, it's like, you know, I've traveled... Down from the Kenai Peninsula all the way up to you know Fairbanks area, and then I've I put the dogs on a plane and flown them to um, Kotzebue, Alaska to do a race called the Kobuk 440. Blair and I both did that one um, in two two different years. So you know, Alaska is like what well, you have to understand about it. It's one fifth the size of the lower forty-eight U.S. states. So. Saying that I train in Alaska is like saying, well, I train in, like, Missouri, Michigan, and Colorado. Like, these places are really far apart. Um, But, yeah, so we train basically wherever the conditions are good and we can get to.
3: So you're on the the TV show Naked and Afraid. Your wife was on it in episode two.
2: Pardon me? Sorry, can you repeat that?
3: Can you talk to us a little bit about this experience?
2: About Naked and Afraid? Have you have you guys seen my episode? No. Mm. No. Okay. You're podcast reporter. You have to go watch the episode and call me back. It's available on, you know, iTunes or anywhere or Hulu or Amazon I don't know I think you can get it anywhere or it's just on Discovery um, but do you, do you know do you understand the premise of the show Naked and Afraid we'll watch it but
3: can't watch it in school
2: yeah sure wait why Why not yeah. because it's, cause we're naked it's all blurred out I promise <laughs> you you will not see anything uh, untoward
1: we do know about the show and how you were on it
2: yeah, so, you know, in Naked and Afraid, the goal is to complete a 21-day survival challenge with a partner that you've never met before. Uh, and, and you're naked, <laughs> and you're given, like, you get to choose a survival item, and so it could be a knife, could be a fire starter, could be a, a pot for water, something like that, and then the producers give you as a team another survival item. So you have three survival items we had a Knife a fire starter and a mosquito net and so with those three things I was asked to try to survive 21 days in the jungle in Honduras um, in a rainforest and you know, it's hard to start a fire in the rain and it's hard to Be naked walking around where there's thorns. I mean, especially shoes. I really wanted shoes and you know, I ended up Spoiler alert! You know, spending a, a quite a quite a portion of the challenge by myself, um, and just with you know the wildlife of the jungle, and, and during the day, during parts of the day, there's you know a person there filming, kind of, and then you know maybe a, an assistant produ- or a produce, deal producer. Um, and then, you know, but, but they leave and night you're really just like out there with these, you know, there's like cameras set up and you have this little camera where you can kind of like Blair Witch Project film yourself, but, uh, she's alone in the jungle for a long time. That was my experience with Naked and Afraid. So you have to sort of face your own demons and fears as much as anything else.
3: How are you able to prepare for being on the show?
2: Oh, gosh, I did so much to prepare for being on the show. I exhaustively researched the region that I was planning to go to in Mozambique, um, Kahara Basa, I think it was called, this lake area. Um, and then it turns out, of course, <laughs> like a, a week before, I found out I wasn't going to Mozambique, I was going to Honduras. <laughs> All that research about, you know, how to hunt for crocodiles and how to protect yourself. I mean, you know, these things (laughs) didn't do me a lot of good (laughs) because I went to a completely different region and climate. But I had spent a while toughening up my feet. I would spray this, um, like, alcohol-iodine kind of mixture on my feet several times a day to kind of dry them out and toughen them up. And I would run on the pavement, on hot pavement. I was running up to five miles a day. Um, just trying to get my feet prepared for being out there and still there's like almost nothing that can prepare your feet for that. Um, It was wet. It was long. Uh, What else? You know, always good to brush up on your primitive, you know, survival and like fire building skills and trapping and fishing and making fish nets. I didn't end up using all of those skills, but you need to kind of have all the tools in your toolbox so that when you get out there, um, you have something you can start doing right away. You can start building a shelter. You can start making a fire. And you're not just sitting there in fear, like future dripping, about what's going to happen when it's going to get dark. Because really, humans don't just, like, die. You know, you're not just like, lying out there somewhere, and then suddenly your body can't take it anymore. And you're, I mean, that's very rare, right, for, like, a healthy young person. So, um, you know, you have to (laughs) just know that you're going to make it through the night and just trust that and try to take one day at a time. I think a lot of my preparation as much was um, mental as much as anything else. I think I was really mentally ready for the challenge. I've been through a lot of stuff in my life, especially being transgender, being F to M transgender. um, I had experienced a lot of BS growing up. People were... I mean, when I think of 7th and 8th grade, oof, like bullied doesn't even doesn't even describe what my experience was in school and what happened to me. And it was awful. Um, you know, kids would beat me up, would take my things and hide my thing, would take my bicycle, would take my... set. When I got older and drove my mom's car, people stole it and set it on fire. They broke into our house. They ransacked my house. Um, and by ransacked, I mean you know broke all the grass, broke the stereo, broke the the my grandparents' record albums. Like you know uh, threw up on the floor, like threw all the food out of the fr- I mean it was horrible what I experienced as a kid. Um, and I think you know I still live through it and and myself. And I what I realize is that those people you know what they were doing to me said way more about them than it did about me and that i just had to keep going and do my own thing and now i look at where i'm at in life and you know i have this amazing life where i get to do cool adventures and my my wife is my best friend in the universe and um i wouldn't trade my life for anybody's but if you would have told me that when i was in seventh or eighth grade oh my god i don't know i don't know
4: um, could you elaborate? You can change
2: your questions if I've already <laughs> answered them I know I'm talking a lot But you'll, you'll have to edit some of my yeah. words out To keep your podcast under an hour or whatever
4: <laughs> um, You mentioned that you're trans Could you like elaborate a little more About how that's like affected your life?
2: Yeah, I mean It has affected my life Because I grew up With This idea like I just grew up looking at boys and men and feeling like oh like I'll just grow up and be a man like I don't know how else to explain it really like other than like you know oh what do you want to be when you grow up it's like oh a basketball player or oh whatever and not like a woman or girl (laughs) couldn't be a basketball player but the, the the people that I was looking at you know emulating or becoming were men and it just sort of never occurred to me internally um, that I would that I wouldn't necessarily grow up to be a man like physically. I don't know what I thought would happen like if I thought I would just transform it, I think in many ways I was like out of touch with my body because meanwhile people are treating me. Like a girl, you know, and like my, you know, grandparents and mom had me, you know, in these like little braids with bows in my hair and shit and stuff, and and they, um, you know, and I, I didn't, I just sort of was awkward and didn't fit in in that way, um, and was always you know, like a tomboy, but at some point you, you get old enough where, like, there's no longer as much leeway to be a tomboy, and so, you know, the tomboy sort of stopped being tomboys and went through puberty and all that, but, like, for me, I just kept it up, and then, and I tried really hard to be a girl, like, I joined this church where, like, I, you know, worked really hard at doing all the things, like, a young woman is supposed to do in this church, in the, you know, this <laughs> um and it just sort of never took and I, I don't mean to say that like I'm a failed girl just like I was the last person to just accept myself as, as trans I guess like it took me a long time of trying all these different things but gender can be a really persistent sense I mean if you're cisgender and you and just sort of are aware of yourself as a girl or boy or whatever. Um, and then imagine, like, you come to school one day and everybody is just, like, calling you the opposite thing and referring to you as she or as he, but, like, not the one that you think of yourself as. Like, every single day, you just start to feel crazy. Like, what? what is wrong with... Like, I must be... like Like, I'm being myself... And everybody around me is telling me that I'm lying right So I learned to sort of accept those lies and try to act the right part because it was just confusing for a long time <laughs> like um, and so you you or at least I I could become a good actor and you know I hate to say it but like a good liar I could live in a sort of passable way the life that people, to expect of me but it never really was me and so it took a while to kind of figure that all out and cast the shell off and I just remember one time like a friend saying to me you know you could you you could wear whatever clothes you want like what would you wear if you could just wear whatever you want like forget the men's department, the women's department, you know any of that and I was like oh like it was just so obvious to me that You know, like, of course I would wear men's clothes. Why would I ever? Why would I have this, like, secondary wardrobe of, like, girls' clothes to, like, go to church in and do social activities in? And then, like, the boy clothes I actually wanted to wear that I would, like, go, you know, play around in or go to summer camp in or whatever. I mean, it just didn't, it it just, I had this, like, double life in a way until I figured it out.
4: um did you come out to your family like and were they supportive
2: my fa- my f- family is small and incredibly supportive um, but I remember for I mean but my mother and my mother's not but my mother's sort of um n- She's supportive and loving, but she's not understanding about me being trans or accepting. I mean, she still will, like, refer to me as her daughter. And it's super weird because, you know, you could, nobody, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just like this. People really read me as male. So I'm like a dude with a beard. I talk like this. You guys can hear me. And then, you know, I go to the nursing home to see my mom and they're all like, well, look at my daughter. And like they just think that my mom is, like, off her rocker completely. Um, which, you know, my mom has str- struggles, but, um, you know, she, she mostly knows <laughs> who I am. But then she'll kind of correct herself. She started to use male pronouns a little bit. Like, she kind of slips and uses male pronouns. But this makes it sound, you know, like I have some kind of horrible relationship with my mother. I, I, I don't. I just realize that, like whether or not she ever comes around to accept me, I want to have a relationship with her and she doesn't get it. And she is, has a lot of mental health struggles and, and memory issues. So maybe, maybe she'll never get it, but that's okay. I still want her in my life. And I, you know, it, it mainly at this point, it mostly looks awkward for her. If we go somewhere, like if we go out to dinner somewhere and she's like talking to the waiter as though I'm her daughter, they're just gonna look at her weird, not me anymore. <laughs> so, good for her, you know. Or they'll look at my wife Blair and they'll think that Blair is her daughter. So, that works out. Um, but the rest of my family, I mean, I remember. So I was really raised a lot by my grandparents and extended family, but but they died when I was younger, you know, before I came out as trans. In fact, I was like on my way from the military basic training to my grandmother's funeral, and I. I talked to my aunt, and I was, and you know, she took me to get clothes for the funeral, and I was like, I just don't want to wear women's clothes anymore, you know. And I like came out to her as trans, and then I remember her being, like at first, like that first day or couple days, being like, "Well, yeah, but like nobody's ever gonna want to like. I mean, that's cool that you're trans, like I'm supportive, but, but you know, you're never gonna like have a partner or get married or um, you know, I make out with somebody or like, you know, people aren't going to be attracted to you. And it was so weird. I feel like, you know, I've, I've, I'm married to, but like, I I can't imagine having a better partner in the world. And, you know, and before that I, I dated some really cool people and I never felt like that was limited because I was, trans or whatever it just wasn't i mean if if somebody's not if that's like a deal breaker for somebody i don't want to be with them anyhow so okay so but my aunt would probably be like horrified to remember that now she was. she's really supportive
4: um do you have any like advice for people our age who are questioning questioning their just general self
2: I more want to hear from you guys like I don't I mean you're on a you're on a totally different frontier. I feel like this world is changing so fast in terms of our understanding around gender. I mean even you guys, you know, even the like just a 10 year or 20 year or whatever age difference different people have like it so much has happened and changed. I mean there was a there's a trans guy a little bit older than I am, who grew up in my, in like the neighboring town. And he was like sent to a mental institution, like in our town, like in our suburb of Chicago, simply for being, um, simply for like wearing the wrong clothes, like wearing boy clothes, like wearing jeans, you know? It wasn't even like a boy wearing girls clothes, quote unquote. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, like it wasn't like a trans girl, It was like a quote-unquote girl, you know, assigned female at birth person who's wearing jeans (laughs) and, like, some, you know, T-shirts or something, but just acted too masculine and was therefore institutionalized, like, in a full-on mental institution against their will. And that person is only a few years older than I am. And I thought, there but for the grace of God go I, like, thank God it's getting better. You know, but I just hope for you guys that it is getting better and there is no backlash, I guess. You know, I worry that gender is such a big big thing for people that, you know, a lot of cisgender people struggle with their feelings around gender, too. It's not just trans people. And so sometimes those cisgender people can... Take out their own struggles on you because you symbolize something that brings up their discomfort. But that's not you. That actually says more about them. I mean, it's like the bullies who—I mean, bullies isn't even the word. I mean, the kids who terrorized me when I was your age and a little older, like that, like the days. You know, knocked me down and spit on me and said things and and stole my bicycle and put this letter in my mailbox that said you're a hermaphrodite and all this stuff. Like, can you imagine going out of your way to do that to somebody, to, like, break the law and break into their house and do that to somebody that you're not even, like, friends with and don't even know that well just because it's so threatening to you that they look or act different from what's expected? I mean, it is so obvious to me now that it's about them and not about me, but it wasn't at the time. And I guess for somebody your age now who's who's trans or who's just thinking about gender stuff or whatever, or or maybe you're not trans, but people think you look different from what they expected or whatever, just that's not about you if people treat you crappy because of it it's really about them and it kind of you know you're in school right now which is like this wonderful weird place that you know one day maybe you'll value having been in but it's also like a mini prison like you can't leave if you just don't go to school then you're a truant and it's against the law so you have no choice but when you're an adult like if your boss is really terrible to you or someone like you really can just quit your job probably, or, you know, like you have more mobility and more choices or you can go to go live in a place where you like have a good community, ideally. Um, not always, but you know, usually people have more, more freedom. Um, but you know, I always feel for people your age because there's, there's less mobility and less ability to determine, you know your school your parents all these things are determining so much about your life but they're also giving you a structure to that you'll just grow up in and through and any adult you know like everybody's imperfect at making structure you know everybody i mean people do the best they can but um we're always learning and so i think you know as a trans adult now that like I almost have more to learn from you guys. Like, what's it like? Where are you at? You know, and maybe that's a different podcast or something. But someday I'd love to hear, you know, what each of you think. That'd be a
4: good podcast. Um, thanks for getting like personal with us. Sometimes that's that
2: can be hard. Hey, yeah, I am. Thank you. Sorry, someone someone pulled over to ask if I'm okay.
4: Um,
2: Not for... everybody on the Alaska Highway in Canada is a uh, pulled over to be on a podcast. <laughs>
4: Thanks for getting personal with us.
2: Yeah, of course. I'm happy to. I, I think this is so cool. Can you tell me a little bit about your podcast and project?
0: Um we talk about we talk with mushers and interview them, asking them questions.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh Basically. really? What other mushers have you talked with?
1: Mitch C V no. No, we have
2: it? No, but we have dad's <clears throat> <laughs>
1: um today we're talking to Riley Dice. oh nice Brian Presley Blake Frecking uh Deke knock 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 the burn knock yeah. the Jesse I Royer. don't even know how to say
2: his last name that's great oh Jesse Royer great
1: yeah we, we talked to a lot of people this that's is our amazing. third season
2: uh, who else sorry what did you say
1: this is our third season
2: wow wow and and what are you called
1: husky talk
2: husky talk i love it i didn't even know you know so here i am talking to you about all these trans things at school and you're mainly <laughs> about the editarod um but, that's
1: okay we were the but, ones who decided we were going to include some questions about your life
2: Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm honored to widen it out a little. Honestly, those those mushers, you're, the other mushers you're talking to are people that I look up to so much. I mean, most of them have been in the sport much longer than I have. Um, and my wife, Blair, has much longer than I have. But, you know, Jesse Royer is incredible. She rides horses and shoots um she she practices target shooting while riding a horse with a like little target shooting handgun thing, and then and then she also sometimes like free runs her dogs with her horse like while she's riding her horse, and that's a, a total dream of mine because I love riding and I love horses and dogs. Um, so that's really neat, and and those are, those are just some really good experienced mushers. I, I would love to to sit down and talk with them too. Blake Frecking is the reason. I mean, he really helped Blair qualify for Iditarod because he helped he helped us find this race in Canada called the Canadian Challenge, you know, and go there. And Blake last year won the Bear Grease race. Yeah, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Ryan Reddington was hours ahead of Blake in the John Bear Sled Dog Marathon in Minnesota, which is like a 300-mile race. And it was the last leg of it, or toward the end. And Ryan Reddington had it in the bag. He was like five hours ahead, which is a long lead. (laughs) I think five hours. And then his dogs just didn't want to go anymore. They wanted to take a break. They wanted to take a nap on the trail. And so Blake... Led by led by you know he had a wonderful team from Ed stilstra's kennel but but he also you know had two of his Siberian dogs Siberian Huskies in the team and he he breeds these really good Siberians and I don't know Siberians are usually thought of as slower than Alaskan Huskies they call them slowberians you know jokingly um, but Blake blazed ahead and beat Ryan Reddington and I think his wife Jen freaking did too and they're just you know she's a veterinarian they have an amazing dog care amazing kennel um so to see Siberians in the team that won the John Burge's Marathon was uh, was pretty amazing for mushers last year you know and I'm a friend of Ryan Reddington I, w- I wish him the best but if I were talking to Blake today I would want to ask him what it felt like as he passed Ryan Reddington, whose dogs were just like resting on the side of the trail and didn't want to go. And I would ask him if he knew when he left that last checkpoint that he would catch Ryan. You know, did he know that that team had shut down? That's what I would ask.
0: Um, We have one more part for our show, Lightning Round. We have five questions for you to answer as quick as you can. Are you
1: ready? I guess yes. Naked and Afraid or I Did a Rod. Uh,
2: what, what's the question?
1: <laughs> you have to choose between these two. Naked and Afraid oh. or I Did a Rod.
2: Both.
0: <laughs> um what's your favorite book?
2: Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube by Blair Braverman. She's my wife and that's my favorite book and that's the only thing I can answer.
1: Favorite song.
2: Favorite song. <laughs> oh no. That is so hard to answer. I'm like looking at the radio. Um favorite song. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Terrible. This is like a hellscape. What is my favorite song? I don't know. What's that song by Girl Talk that has like fifty songs in it? I just wanna say that one. Um yeah, uh, or some, like, oh, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't have a favorite song, I'm sorry, I hate all the music, <laughs>
4: just um, What's your favorite sport?
2: Mushing sled dogs.
1: What is the name of your first dog?
2: Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H.
0: How can people find you on social media?
2: I'm on twitter.com, twitter.com, Quince Mountain. Uh, I'm also on TikTok, but I don't have a very active account, but I plan to do more.
4: Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. Good luck in the editor of this year.
2: Thank you so much. It was my pleasure and I, you know, please send me a link um, not only when this episode is done, but, you know, for your podcast. I, I look forward to listening.
1: Thank you. Special thanks to our guest, Quince Mountain, for being on our show this week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please stop by on iTunes and leave us a review. It helps us with our rating. If you also have any questions, comments, or people who would like you would like to hear on the show, email us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com. If we hear from you or you leave a review, we will read it on the show. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, the Iditarod Trail Song. And now, enjoy a clip from Quince's favorite band, Girl Talk.